I've done what I needed to do. We can start this show. Well, let's get the show on the road. This really is a beverage day for me because look at I have my uh, end fix of Diet Coke and my first and only fix of uh, whiskey for the night. I haven't had my whiskey. Of course, I never have whiskey, but uh, doesn't it burn? <laughs> right now, it has a pleasant little burn right on the back of my throat. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I could go the other way. There most, you go. Most of the ones I drink do not burn. I mean, it's not mellow exactly, but it has a real, I don't know what it is about whiskey. Uh, I do feel like I've reached an adulthood finally with drinking whiskey. Uh, I'm going to get there someday, Tim. I'm going to get there someday. You know, it's funny. Uh, people hand me drinks sometimes. I don't. I don't generally drink drinks, but I uh, alcoholic drinks. But you know, oh, taste this. It's really good, and I'll always taste it. You know, take just a little sip and like go. Yeah, it would be if there wasn't the really horrible tasting alcohol in it. It's like <laughs> this this fruity concoction that'd be just wonderful, but but. You know, maybe you should take that out. You know, if taste was what you were really after. So just I'm, I'm funny that way. There is a brand or was a brand a number of years ago of dealkalized wine that actually I thought was really good. It was like dry grape juice, like really dry. And it was just wonderful. And it's better than wine. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm not a big wine fan. I hate beer with all my heart. I just, I loathe it with a passion. See, now, I do like the taste of beer. I do like the taste of beer, dark beers especially. Um, but it's, but yeah, I mean, my problem is I don't like, I, I I like being tipsy for about 14 seconds. And then it's like, geez, I don't, I don't like this feeling so much. And, uh, and it's, and I find with, with beer, Especially, you know, if it's in the summer, it's hot and the beer's really cold and the it's I'm not very good at, at nursing it. You know, I kind of want to hit it. So I don't get tipsy from drinking whiskey because I drink it slow enough. And all I get is that feeling in my feet that I yearn for. And I'm old enough where my feet are an issue every day. I have so many things wrong with my well, we don't need to go into it. They put the feet so far away. <laughs> Why did they do that? <laughs> well, hey, um, we learned this week. Actually, we learned it last week, but we wrote about it this week. That you learn amazing things at Democratic Party fundraisers. Like you learn that the threat of thermonuclear you know annihilation is uh is a little bit closer than anyone uh, bothered to mention publicly and uh on on monday we had armageddon anyone and we could we could argue about uh joe biden's characterization of the u.s being in a situation right now that is more dangerous than anything since the cuban missile crisis um, but that's, that's what he's observed. And I don't think that there's any question that, that you know, our, our long lives now, there's been nobody talking the way Putin has talked about nuclear weapons, tac you know, tactical nuclear weapons, uh, theater nuclear weapons or more. And, um, and wars are wars are terrible things because they have this 
just recurring, you know, propensity to spiral into something that people didn't expect. And and look at look at Ukraine. For one, I expected, and I think Russia expected, and I think a lot of other people expected, Ukraine to fold. Ukraine to basically say, we surrender, you know, we've left the key people that you want to imprison and torture and stuff have left the country. Other people are, you know, resigned to, to you guys being in charge. And um, and that's not what they got. And so it's it's and and it is very tough. You know, the, the Russian Revolution uh, was after World War One and and wars have a tendency to strain governments so that, uh, you know, you, you have a situation in which there could be regime change and people can do crazy things when they're pressed against the wall and they might they might be the guy arrested and imprisoned and tortured and so on. It's a great world out there where where the being imprisoned and tortured it can happen to anybody. Um but but this is uh, this is not not good, and and I'm glad that Russia uh, has stumbled and hasn't been able to take over territory that I don't think they it belongs to them, uh, and and so that's wonderful. But boy, it's a it's a difficult situation, and and in this piece, I wanted to point out uh, one that because there were several articles that talked about having a public discussion. This was not a public discussion, and that's part of the problem. It wasn't a public discussion. It was a discussion with Democratic donors, with uh, with funders. And so uh, and that's fine. You know, there, there are people, too. And 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 I don't I don't regret you one iota for for giving them the info because they're helping to to fund your efforts. But we, the American people, pay your salary. And so you ought to tell us if we need to be preparing, you know, radiation sickness, uh, uh, you know, remedies and, and that sort of thing. And the other thing is, where is, and maybe it's all happening behind the scenes, I just don't know, because you're a very secretive bunch, uh, and if that's the case, so please have my apologies, but it doesn't appear like there's an attempt to negotiate. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not kind of the, uh, <laughs> the, the liberal commie, hey, oh, let's run to the UN and, and ask them, can we do this or can we do that? Let's always negotiate even when, you know, there's no reason to do so from some position of weakness. But it's not a position of weakness. We're not in any weakened position. It's Russia that's in a weakened position. And it seems to me that it might be very wise for us to do whatever we could to try to bring it to a close. I'm not suggesting that that we rush and say, oh, whatever you want, we'll give to you. But find an off-ramp, if at all possible. And that's it's true in any situation, but especially if you believe this could go to thermonuclear war and 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 I'm not one that thinks oh if if you know nuclear war is ever threatened then you have to run scurrying away because you can't live your life under you know the thumb of of 
Kim Jong-il and in North Korea or some other lunatic, Putin or Xi Jinping or anybody else that's got nuclear weapons. If Pakistan tomorrow says, America, you do this, or we're going to launch a nuclear weapon at you, we're not going to comply. And uh, and and so I'm not saying that, that you know, we I, there's no surrender. There's no, oh, we have to, you know, just go apoplectic because someone threatened nuclear war. But we have to hear the, the words. We have to recognize what they have threatened. And it suggests a, a couple of things. Let's get off the uh, the war ramp if we possibly can. And it also, to me, suggests that we ought to be looking for ways to shoot down missiles, that Ronald Reagan's crazy idea of a Star Wars, which, of course, wasn't crazy then and, and is less crazy now. And I'm no expert on military things, but I'd, I'd like my government to be thinking about how to knock a missile out of the sky so that it doesn't hit my house. And uh, and I don't think I'm crazy for wanting that. Yeah, well, that's something they can do. I mean, there's the Iron Dome technology uh, that's around Israel, and which uh, I think is a big deal uh, in Pentagon circles. I don't know how good it is, but I suspect it's not bad. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it was big news when Putin apparently sent out the killer Russian submarine uh, out of the, uh, you know, out of the into the Arctic Circle and into who knows where that has nuclear bombs on long range torpedoes. So we're talking now not about missiles, but about a torpedo that could easily get multiple places on the uh, East Coast. Uh, now, I like the idea of the Iron Dome technology and so forth, you know, other things being equal. I have this feeling that it's much more advanced than we've been told because they don't tell us how well this stuff is done. That's right. one of the things that they don't want to let the cats out of bags. Uh, and much of what governments do in, in, in defense-related matters is lies because they want, because they have enemies. Look at, uh, I'm following some of the hypersonic missile stuff. It's uh, it, it sure seemed to me that, and again, no expert here. I'm not advising you on your missiles at home. Don't don't take two missiles before you go to bed and call me in the morning. Anyway, uh, but but it seems like we heard about hypersonic missiles coming from China, and oh, the U.S. was shocked, and they're going to have to catch up. And then it seemed like four months later they had they they had things going for nuclear or for nuclear for hypersonic missiles of our own and defense stuff and you you know that that didn't all happen in four months and that you know if and and the truth is I mean look if I were president and and I were in charge of the Pentagon I wouldn't be you know sending out press releases every time we cross some threshold on on weapons I wouldn't want my opponents to know. Yeah, that was not what this was about. Of course, your piece, your piece was mainly about, well, just about the rumors and uh, and threat assessments and who's being told. Um, my interest at that same time that week, we had a uh, the HHS uh, is that what yes. it was? Uh, uh, ordered a huge, huge amount of radiation sickness medicine. So that was timely. Uh, it was ominous, is what it was, and we couldn't cram it into your that piece of yours because right. well, it just didn't fit we I mean, thought about doing a footnote just to, to educate uh you know the masses but 
but we it, did. The footnotes really just don't. I mean, you only do it occasionally, and, and it is a, a kind of an odd. Uh, no, I think every day there needs to be like twenty-four footnotes, and then and then texting people later. Did you read the anyway? Yeah, I mean that is a problem with. I mean, your pieces at thisiscommonsense.org. And hey, let's take a moment. This is this week of common sense. It's your Paul Jacob. This is about the five pieces you write during the week. Uh, at this is commonsense.org, which is called Common Sense with Paul Jacob, which you've been doing since 1999. You're Timothy Verkla, and and uh, you make what I write actually make sense. And that's an important part of it, I think. So here we are, and Armageddon's on the mind, uh, simply because Joe it Biden makes- blurted it out. And the funny thing is, is that's the kind of blurting that, we sort of expected from Trump, you know, Trump was said things that is not appropriate for most audiences or some audiences. He was always saying things that were annoying the establishment. I don't see how talking about Armageddon wouldn't be of the same category. In fact, I think it's more alarming than uh, Trump's uh, famous and infamous uh, discussion of what may be grabbed by whom on an on what occasion. Well, it's Mr. Biden is, you know, I just think of other countries and, um, you know, I think that they saw Trump as a as certainly a different sort of American president. And I think depending on where you were in the world, for instance, because of him taking on China, he was very popular in Taiwan, uh, even though sometimes they might say, he seems a little bit out there sometimes, but we like him because, of course, he's, you know, he's talking about helping instead of, uh, hey, how much how much will you sell Taiwan for? And um, and and we go from that. And of course, in Europe, I think there was a much different uh, line being being talked about on on Trump. Uh, but I think everyone, whether whether you liked him or didn't like him, you saw him as certainly coming from a different place and out of the out of the norm. And then we get Biden and we get Biden as sort of a deal. It's the only way to stop Trump is to put somebody in who's run for president, you know, a bunch of times, has never gotten very far. And everyone knows why he hasn't gotten very far. He's not really honest. He's not really a very nice person. He's weird. And all of his policies have been pretty bad or not all. I'm sure one out of every couple hundred things he he advocated that happened was was not as horrific as the other 199. You know, it's it's uh, well, it's like with with one of our scripts this week, we talk about him, uh, you know, pardoning all the the marijuana folks. And in fact, might as well just uh, segue there. But it's but it's, you know, he was pushing the policies that put them in and and there's no recognition of that like like that would be a big thing for someone to say you know sometimes we do stuff that doesn't always work out you know it, it, it we can criticize politicians but if politicians ever kind of looked at it and had some humanity and humility we might not be as as difficult on them and and for them to just you know, for him to kind of act like he's Mr. I want to help people who are, you know, who who are in jail for marijuana is is well, it it's a complete reversal of what he's spent his whole life doing. And the same's true on criminal justice reform stuff. Now it's great to have the convert, don't don't get me wrong, 
And in fact, this piece was a little bit, uh, you know, one of the other points I, I wanted to make in this piece is called the middle of the beginning of the end. One of the other points I wanted to make is that, yes, indeed, uh, I didn't quite say it that way, but yes, indeed, this is political pandering with an election coming up. Uh, and and so, you know, that's that's bad, except by golly, it's hard to get, you know, bad politicians to do good things. And so I don't know that I want to boo when they when they pander, if they're pandering to the real public instead of, you know, their cronies. Uh, it's the kind of pandering I like. And I, I remember that. I think it was John Adams who said maybe it was Sam. Uh, somebody named Adams said, uh, you know, tyranny begins where annual, uh, what was it, where annual elections end, tyranny begins or something to that effect. And uh, I wish we had elections every year in the House uh, because two years is too long of a leash for these these folks. And, and they would, they behave better facing an election than they do when they're not facing an election. And, and that's the whole, I mean, that's the kind of the point of our system. We had a really good quote this week from Milton Friedman that makes that point to some degree. And, and uh, slap it up there and, and uh, let me read it to you. Uncle Milty, Milton Friedman, uh, a, wise, a wise guy. Uh, it's nice to elect the right people, he says. But that isn't the way you solve things. The way you solve things is by making it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right things. And part of that is for those wrong people to be more afraid of you and I than they are. They are not afraid. And that's a problem. And I, I, for some reason, I was talking to someone the other day, and this this came up. Between 1992, and this is early on when I was in Washington and was working on term limits and going to the Capitol to, to try to sell acid, you know, uh, not lemonade to the senators, but battery acid is how they view term limits. So, but it was an interesting thing, and and. Um, between 92, when Ross Perot got 19% for president as an independent, a truly independent, uh, I think later his movement and he was closer to the Republicans, but they were better on a lot of the issues like term limits that, that were so important to the Ross Perot movement. Not so, I, I never thought term limits was super important to Ross Perot, but his movement was absolutely off the charts. I think their polling, their support for terminals was like 96%, you know, favorite at that kind of thing. So very, very solid on that. And between that time in 92 and 94, when Republicans took over, a lot of congressmen were concerned about where reform-minded voters were they were a little bit uneasy, and it was glorious. And I've I've not seen them like that. Now, in the recent years, I don't, thank goodness, don't spend much time going to see members of Congress. Uh, a couple of times during the pandemic in which you couldn't get anywhere close, you know, 
the, the people get away from us anyway. Uh, but, but I don't spend much time doing that, but, but for the most part, they are a narcissistic, arrogant, you know, bunch of the worst people that I've of any classification of people. Uh, and I went to federal prison, so I'm including the people at federal prison. Uh, members of Congress are the worst, the worst group of people. Uh, and I know some that I that I have real respect for. Small number, but as a whole, worst group of people I've ever met. But it makes a big difference if they have to fear that re-election. If it's just a cakewalk and they, you know, just slaughter their opponent who's from the wrong party and nobody challenges them in the primary and they've got 20 times the money the other person does, it's, you know, they they become bad people. And not, not just because they're bad people, because they're very hard to start, kind of narcissistic and arrogant and obnoxious. Um, I mean, that's that seems to be a running, you know, there's correlation there. But they get worse the more they are put on a pedestal, like like all of us. We're all that way. I mean, if nobody does anything because but but just praise you all the time and pat your back and, you know, because you have some power over them, uh, you know, over time, that has an impact on you. And, and it doesn't make you better. That's, that's the problem. So anyway, that's uh, Milton Friedman is uh, on to something in terms of he was a big supporter of term limits uh, and, um, and, and other reforms that, that we have to set the table. We, and, and that's the brilliance of our system. It's why we have three branches and they're supposed to you know, kind of check each other, not hold hands and try to get away with bad stuff. And there's all kinds of things built into our system that were built in because the framers of the Constitution and the people who were arguing for this country realized that politicians are a-holes and we've got to do stuff that uses that arrogance and obnoxiousness and ambition and ambition isn't always terrible, but arrogance and obnoxiousness and narcissism are pretty rotten to hang around. And but but we want to use those to the good. And um, and so it's it's not just a matter of I mean, if 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 our role as citizens is to just pick the guy who's going to fleece us, you know, democracy is uh, is a rotten, a rotten, you know, uh, Trick on us because we're not going to get anywhere. Now, I just wanted to mention my favorite fact that's in the piece. Okay, and I mean, you know, we talked about that. That's the main, but the favorite fact. You know, my favorite fact is the White House oh. admitting that while no one is currently in prison for the infractions that are being pardoned, no one is in prison. No one will be let out of prison for his pardon. This is all about how access to housing or employment. That's really all this yes. is. So it's a very minor thing. We would like more done in this realm is all I'm saying. When we say it's the least you could do, this was the least Biden could yes. do. Yes. And it's interesting that I I found out about that having seen a couple stories. Uh, I found out about that from you. You're the one who said, hey, I don't think this actually 
got anybody out of jail. And it turns out you were exactly right. It didn't get anyone. I mean, zero people left jail because of the pardon given by President Biden. And it just seems to me that maybe maybe on the scale of important stories, it just dips a little bit. Now, it's it's still important for these people because you leave prison, you've got this record, it hurts. And if if you're pardoned and that's off your record, that helps. So I, I'm not, a, and the piece is very clear. It, it's not poo-pooing that Biden did nothing. And, you know, I mean, this isn't, we're not taking a shot at Biden other than that you should know how these things sometimes work. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of extra hype added on for free. And, um, but it, but it, it I, I think the, I think that's an important point to realize about this. Uh, I think it's important to realize that when everything changes, if they can get away with not apologizing for doing all the harms they're now helping us with, they will. And we'll just kind of pretend that they were just on the good side of it. And the other thing is that this is pandering and we need more pandering from politicians, pandering to us because they're worried about us. And if people are thinking, why is it us at issue is that people generally want marijuana to be legal. Uh, state after state has been uh, the people have decided that they don't want marijuana to be dragged through the same way that the other drugs are dragged through and drug users are dragged through. And whether that's good or bad, generally people are on the side of uh, uh, marijuana legalization. And many states have proven it through the initiative uh, referendum and even uh, some work with legislatures using uh, medical marijuana on, the, on those cases, I think, right? Well, uh, there are some uh, legislature. I think New Jersey, the legislature did straight uh, recreational. I think I could be wrong about that, but um, but it it started through the initiative because that's where it could start, and it started with medical marijuana because that's where the support was. The recreational were losing, but medical marijuana would win because people thought, you know, someone's dying. They're in tremendous pain and they're sick to their stomach um, all the time because they're taking the medication and marijuana helps. And people thought, you know, I've, I've heard all this different stuff, but my friend is dying and feels horrible and this helps. So, you know, it won because people are actually good and care. And then I think people got to the point where it was like, this isn't, you know, this is not something that's causing people to go out and be violent. Um, I mean, you could get hopped up on marijuana and do something stupid, but there's a lot of things you can get hopped up on and do something stupid. And, and you know, and this isn't a, hey, go use marijuana because there's no harms. You know, for one, you know, uh, there's, there are some harms, but it's it's so different from other you know, from alcohol, I think it's much safer. And the other thing that's interesting is I think a lot of the libertarian arguments against drugs as a whole, being the, against prohibition of, of drugs, making them illegal, is that it, it, you know, it also doesn't work at all. It makes them expensive and it creates organized crime. No matter what you do, I remember years ago when John Ashcroft became uh, uh, attorney general 
United States Attorney General, there was a little short in the paper where he had asked for them to do a study on how to get drugs out of prisons. <laughs> and when you think about that, you realize if we can't keep drugs out of prisons, then we can't stop drugs, even if we turn the whole society into a prison. And and, you know, and it's and so now I think I think there's uh, I mean, you've seen like psilocybin mushrooms and different things like that that are more recreational drug use type things uh, getting you know, being legalized different places. But I think you're going to see things like cocaine and and heroin at some point may be legalized. And it's it's a better way to go, I think, than this uh, let's provide, you know, let's build places where people can come take drugs. I don't, you know, I think that's kind of, you're putting something on top of taxpayers that, you know, a lot of us, I don't think, want to buy other people's drugs or help them shoot up or, or what have you. Now, some people may and and you know, because they, they think that'll be better for them. Let let a thousand flowers bloom, but don't, you know, don't don't do it on everybody else's. Do it on your own nickel, not on somebody else's. A lot of these issues get conflated in odd ways, and one of them is homelessness. And homelessness is often about drugs. And uh, it used to be about and mental illness too, but right. yeah, Dr drugs and mental illness—they are oh, linked in yes. many ways uh, by a lot of people, and many people become mentally ill, as we say, because starting of the drugs to, Are you starting to slur your speech with I'm, your I'm, uh, heavy drinking that's going on? on I'm doing what I can here. for the podcast. I'm doing <laughs> what I can for the podcast. I'm drinking the whiskey, though it's not very much. Really, what, what hopefully, we'll. Hopefully we'll have some big scandal out of this. You know, I the think so. Twitter universe will be just be going crazy. No, no. Uh, <laughs> there are podcasts where they uh, drink throughout the podcast, and that's sometimes amusing. I don't think I'll be very amusing tonight. I'm interested in the subject for a long time because I, I've, I've been a teetotaler on everything most of my life, uh, or if not a teetotaler, very close to that on everything. I don't like marijuana. I've tried marijuana in the last several years because it's legal in my state. Um, I don't like the inebriation from marijuana used by edibles. I can't smoke. I literally can't smoke anything. Uh, I can't imbibe anything from smoking. Mm. My, I have, I have a vocal cords that false vocal cords that won't allow any of that. But uh, it did give me an interesting effect. But it was the next day. So I'm the least pro-marijuana user person you're likely to meet in a sense, because I don't think that the interesting effect the next day is worth an unpleasantly uh, befuddling experience the night of the experience. Right. So I just don't do that. Uh, and I like whiskey because, A, I do like the taste now, and B, I like the, what it does to my feet, and my feet are in pain all the time. So it's literally, yeah. it's literally for me, whiskey is is medicinal yeah yeah but but and i have no problem with people using marijuana or and you are a doctor aren't you yeah well i don't <laughs> my my interest in what doctors say uh was always been a little iffy i was interested but never overly respectful <laughs> but with covid i am pretty much if a doctor says tells me to do something I'm more apt to do the opposite because I my confidence in medicine now is really, really low. And now that we have new uh, information out about what Pfizer did and how many lies that Pfizer uh, perpetrated to get this whole thing rolling, 
uh, they didn't test for reduction in transmission of the disease before the yes that's that is the huge issue this week and uh it's of course we kind of knew it all along because if you looked at the what the what the medical part of the uh pfizer and moderna uh drugs were telling touting if you look just at what they were saying they were much less than what all politicians were saying including trump uh that right. the politicians were claiming a lot for the drugs that were not being said by the companies. And then everybody got on board that it's, you know, it's safe and effective. And that's just not true. Uh, it doesn't appear to be safe and it doesn't. Oh, well, we're on rumble. So we don't, we can say what we want here. Uh, it, it's not safe. And it's not effective. Is what Are we allowed to talk now? <laughs> there was also the Florida, some Florida official, uh, who has something to do with medical stuff. I don't know why Florida needs even that, but but they have it. Everybody has one. You know, I have my own medical official waiting in the next room. Um, came out and said young people don't need to take the vaccine. And I think that that's pretty much common sense. Um, it just seems like you, you're, you're fighting against such a tiny risk with by taking a bigger risk. Um, but, you know, check your own, uh, you know, check Google, except don't Google because you'll never find it. But you but, might go to DuckDuckGo. <laughs> but look up myocarditis among young men. Um, yeah, it's a, this is it, not a good situation for young men. And, it, you know, the, the saddest thing is that it's if I feel like and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's always they've always been tricking us in, in ways we just haven't picked up on. But. It, it seems like it used to be you could go get some information from some unbiased source that would that you'd feel comfortable was you know close to the truth as far as they knew it. And on medical stuff, because of all the help in stopping disinformation and misinformation and opinions that don't fit the establishment narrative, you can't believe anything. You can't believe anything they say. You you feel like if there were a bunch of people dropping over dead from it, yeah, you'd be the last to know. We we had a, a change. You know, we've been pretty laudatory about uh, Elon Musk. Uh, he's done some good stuff. I mean, we 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 go back uh, uh, in this particular piece. Musk gone mad? Question mark. <laughs> Without maybe the question mark because the answer seems so self-evident. But but uh, in this piece, I'd link to things going back, uh, I think, 2012. We may have talked about it even before then. But what he's done with SpaceX and being one of the key people with private space travel and putting satellites up and the whole idea you could take people up. Uh, you know, very rich people, but that's how it starts. Someday, uh, us less rich people might be able to go up in outer space, and that seems thrilling. Um, and, and all of that I love. And then, of course, you know, getting his uh, Starlink uh, satellite internet uh, to Ukraine. And we were talking uh, before we got on about the the fact that now he's asking the Pentagon to to help out with some of the costs, which seemed pretty reasonable to me because you're talking about millions of dollars uh, being expended. 
and uh, and maybe the Pentagon says no, but somebody says yes to to help Ukraine. And uh, of course, he was he's doing the same thing uh, in Iran, which they've hit the kill switch on the internet at different times, and and he can help overcome that. And so, I mean, what's not to like? This is uh, great stuff. But Elon Musk came out this week and said, hey, he's got a solution for the tensions, the tension between <laughs> tensions uh, between China and Taiwan. His solution was basically that maybe China should make Taiwan some sort of administrative, you know, category that would be under Chinese control, but have a much more uh, a, a kind of one country, two systems, much more lenient. That was the word Musk used than Hong Kong. Well, you know, China very quickly came out and then said, oh, thanks for your for your wise idea. And uh, Taiwan very quickly came out and said, you know, we, we we live very close to Hong Kong and we know exactly what happened in Hong Kong and totalitarianism, uh, even more lenient totalitarianism doesn't sound good. But of course, um, you know, and I felt kind of a need to come out and say, you know, what the heck? What are you thinking, Mr. Musk? Because we've said, you know, written so many good things about him, all of them earned and and our kind of incredulous, you know, feeling and desire to like maybe hit him with some big stick or something is is pretty warranted here. He makes more than half his cars, his Tesla electric cars in China. And uh, and he has said in the past pretty, you know, you know, kind of Trump-esque, uh, oh, the Chinese are wonderful and so on, you know, and, and not so much about Xi Jinping, but the country. He's played it up like any businessman who really wants to do business there and doesn't really care so much about what he says about, you know, a certain government that may be as genocidal. Uh, and that's where Musk is. And it's it's worth remembering that someone who's picked a fight with Twitter and I think it's the it's a good fight he's in the right position you know mostly um and uh and has done other good stuff can kowtow to a totalitarian you know monster uh to make extra bucks and and you know it it, it reminds you of the Khrushchev you know, uh, the West will sell us the rope to hang them. Uh, and and we have to be wiser than that. And part of that is for business people, you know, a lot of these business guys have a pretty good sense of where the public is on stuff. And, you know, there are third rails in politics and there's third rails in society. And sometimes there's a need to turn certain things into a third rail when they're not. And I would think that uh, I hope in a, you know, in a few months, in a year, in two years, that a businessman uh, in the same position as Elon Musk 
might start to think, oh, I could please China by saying this and would say, oh, no, no, I don't think that's a good move at all. Kind of what Milton Friedman and we were pointing, you know, using his quote, we were pointing out earlier with politicians that sometimes it's important for us to to create some guardrails for these guys because uh, they lose sight, uh, you know, in, in politics, they lose sight of about everything. In these business guys, lose sight of about everything except the money that they can make. And the esteem, they want the esteem. They want the celebrity. Uh, and and that gives us a certain amount of power. They also want the money. And that gives us power, too. We just have to figure out ways to to better use it. Because right now, it, it's, uh, it seems like it's too easy for government to do whatever it damn well pleases uh, without any fear of what, what kind of reaction we're going to have. And too often, that's true in the corporate world. I'm pretty sure I didn't disagree with anything you said. However, I have a cat at my window. My cat, one of my cats, is outside the my window trying to get in so it's been a little distracting um that's much worse than whiskey and you're on the you're on the second or third floor third floor of this building yes it's uh it's uh she likes to get on the roof anyway <laughs> um elon musk also made a big deal about his ukraine business this last week or so he uh, had a solution for the ukraine deal the ukraine debacle the ukraine conflict which i thought was a more sensible than his uh suggestions for uh taiwan Yes. He suggested, I think, a new referendum or new referendum in the Donbass and whatever region, Crimea completely to Russia and uh, keeping Russia out of the Ukraine, the remaining Ukraine, and no NATO membership. That's what I understood his uh, suggestion to be. It didn't seem like a bad one. No, it's it's, uh, there. I think you're looking at. you know, it, it's tough. It, it's you don't want to give up any more than you have to. You you know, you don't want to reward Russia at the same time. You don't want to fight forever. It's those are very tough issues there. And it's very different than the. The completely phony and ridiculous. It's almost like, are you an idiot for the for the idea in Taiwan? I mean, it's like. It'd be like going, well, um, what should we do to help, you know, make sure there's never another Holocaust? Well, maybe we ought to have Adolf Hitler come back from the dead. And, you know, it's like you've just seen China stamp out freedom of any kind in Hong Kong. I read stuff sometimes where they talk about uh, the, the national security law they've passed is increasingly making uh, you know, minimizing freedom or whatever, it's gone. It is gone. Everybody in Hong Kong knows you can't say anything without the fear that you're going to be arrested and put in jail for the rest of your life or maybe beaten up or maybe killed. It's like, it's ridiculous. And and so to suggest that somehow you ought to, I mean, it's not serious. And, and you know, as much as he's, he's, you know, played fast and loose at different times. He seems like a serious guy. And that was not a serious proposal. Well, at least two pieces left for this. Well, I want to just September. 
I just wanted to talk real quickly about the rule of want to, because I just mentioned something about uh, how, you know, it, it's, we have to, we have to convince politicians they don't just get to do whatever they feel like that they have to, you know, they have to listen to us. And part of that is they have to follow the law. And there was a case, uh, this is Friday's piece, today's or tomorrow's piece. We're doing this early, uh, called the rule of not law, but the rule of want to. And this is, I think, a good example in the sense that it's not some horrible, terrible thing that government has done that that you're that anybody would agree just because it's so terrible and horrible. In Maryland, they have a law in the books that says you can't count mail-in ballots until two days after the general election. And why? There may be different thoughts that that legislature had, but they passed the law. Well, in the primary this year in Maryland, they had so many mail-in ballots that it took forever to, you know, it took weeks. They had problems. They So they wanted to be able to count them sooner. Well, look, I want them, to, as I say in this piece, I want them to be able to count it sooner. The General Assembly passed a law that changed this. The governor said he's all for that, except they put that as part of a law that did a bunch of other things. And the governor vetoed it. And they couldn't override the veto. So they go to court and they say, well, this is going to be problematic. Throw it out. And the judge throws it out. And then the, the, they appeal that uh, the Republican gubernatorial candidate who said basically he's not against them counting early. He just wants them to follow the law. Um, but he appeals it. Well, the Court of Appeals agrees with a lower court judge in the state board of uh, elections that, yeah, you can do it. You you basically can violate the law. The legislature couldn't change it. But I'm going to change it from the bench just because it's, as the Washington Post said, outdated. And look, if it's a law that violates somebody's rights, then it's not a law. And I'm for suspending. I mean, if, if in court, what the court said is, well, this is violating Joe Smith's First Amendment rights. Throw that law out in a New York minute or faster. But don't take a law that is legitimate, that that is not violating anybody's rights, but is sort of in the way you think. But the process we have, and we do have a process where we elect these people, remember that? And they go to a Capitol building and they debate and they pass these laws. You know, we either have that process or we don't. And when it comes to elections, especially, especially with people on both sides of the spectrum seem very concerned that maybe they're not fully confident that everything's on the up and up. And I'm talking about 2016. You know, some of this goes back to the to 2000, uh, 2020. Uh, let's follow the law. And so this to me um you know it's so easy for these sort of things to slide through and for them to just say well the law was kind of in the way we we can't let that happen and then our last piece is uh is about two proposals in Michigan on the ballot 
proposal one and proposal two, um, which are depressing because their campaigns run on lies. Uh, the first one we've talked about before proposal one, which is, is term limits. And uh, it's, it's also got a disclosure, as I pointed out in this piece, it, it implements something a little bit weaker than the disclosure requirements on income and stuff for Congress. So I guess Michigan can look forward to being as clean and honest uh, as the U.S. Congress. Gee whiz, woohoo. And uh, so it's got some disclosure that kind of helps them not have to talk about the term limits part too much. But they're pretending the term limits part is going to make it tougher on legislators, even though it's the legislators who passed this in a single day. It was introduced and passed in a single day. No hearings, no debate. There, there you go. And what they've done basically is to create this overall 12-year limit, which means that the six-year limit in the House becomes 12, the eight-year limit in the Senate becomes 12. So really obnoxious uh, effort designed to trick voters. Uh, and and then there's proposal two. And proposal two, you'd think, well, how could you be any more dishonest than what the politicians are doing against term limits? Well, hold on. Uh, proposal two has all kinds of different things, like, you know, you get a drop box for ballots every six feet or something. Um, and you can send back your ballot with a postage paid envelope so the the state picks up the cost instead of the voter. I, you know, I, I'm fine with that. I, it seems kind of a silly thing for a constitutional amendment, but I, I'm fine with that aspect. But the real goal is to put into the Constitution the following requirement for voter ID. And that requirement is that you don't ever ever, ever have to show any ID, much less a photo, a government-issued photo ID. You don't have to show any ID because you can always just sign a statement that says, I am who I say I am. No questions asked. That goes, your ballot goes into the stack and you leave. And so it is outlawing, banning, blocking voter ID and they have television ads on the air. There's a, a link in this piece so you can go see the ad using, showing people what they're saying and then telling them the truth by the uh, Protect My Voter ID uh, committee. But their ads say that it etches voter ID into uh, the state constitution. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, the word requirement Advantages <laughs> that there is no requirement. Really sad, and uh, and you get uh, you know I'm always giving you the uh, headline writer award and uh, sketchiest etching uh, was your excellent headline because mine was a little weak on this one. We won't even tell people what it is. Well, I don't remember it, um, and that's that's <laughs> one good thing about this current title, and. Uh, that very chutzpah, that 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 amazing amount of effrontery they have in taking what they're doing and then declaring it the opposite is just something that, um, well, I guess in America we're used to it by now, but it is, it still has that element of shock even now. So we're not quite used to it yet, I guess. 
It's getting worse. Years ago, when someone was saying to uh, uh, Larry Sabato, who's a University of Virginia political science professor, you know, one of the top ones in the country and on TV a lot. And he was on some program and they asked him, wasn't the wasn't the press, you know, biased against Trump? And he sort of chuckled and said, well, sure. But of course, they've been biased against the Republicans going back for you know decades. That's nothing new. I mean, it may be worse for Trump, but this is not a new phenomenon. And uh, and he's he's so right about that. But the media has gotten worse. It's one thing I think Democrats used to think, well, can we get away with this? They won't beat us up as hard for telling, you know, bald-faced lies uh, as they would the Republicans. So maybe we can get away with it. I think now it's like they're going to be on our side. We can call them up and say, hey, would you get the story ready to say that my lie is really the truth? I mean, they have several. There are several fact check stories that try to pretend that they're creating a voter ID requirement in the Constitution. It's putting in a requirement that you have to show ID or sign a statement. So that's a voter ID requirement. But of course, what it's actually doing is putting into the Constitution that you have to show an ID or not show an ID. And it's your choice so that any voter Anytime, every time, you never have to show an ID again in Michigan unless they would amend this out of the Constitution. So it's it's not even like you could go every time for the rest of your life never showing an ID. There would never be any check. And someone asked me, well, could this alter an election? Well, it depends on how close the election is. But someone could go vote before you do, sign a statement that they're you, and you probably could still vote. It would be a provisional ballot that would then they would adjudicate after the fact. And I say adjudicate is not like you're going to the Supreme Court or something, but they would try to figure out as best they could when the dust is settled and they're not under the gun of the election being eight to eight or whatever the time period is, whether your vote would count and your vote probably would count. But here's the thing. They could not stop that other vote from counting because once it's in the stack, it's a secret ballot It's in the stack. It's not tied to the person who who cast it anymore. And if you let people go up and vote without showing any ID whatsoever in a society in which, you know, you can't you can't adopt a puppy at the pound without an ID, you can't get cough medicine or or sinus stuff at the, the pharmacy without an ID. You you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on. To to just kind of say, look, nobody ever has to show ID is silly under the Secure My Vote, which was a statute that that is pending. Um, this would wipe that out, but under that uh, uh, initiative. You would have six days to come back. You would cast a, uh, if you had no ID, you'd still be able to cast a ballot. It would be a provisional ballot. It wouldn't go into the stack. It would be set aside and you'd have six days to come back and to demonstrate that you are with ID, 
with some sort of ID that you are who you say you are. Wouldn't just be signing a statement. So it's not as if somehow you couldn't vote, even if you didn't have ID. You could get ID in the days after the election to show that you and the ID would be free. The other thing that I find so interesting about the whole ID thing is it is virtually impossible. There have been a number of different groups that have been formed to try to help people here as undocumented aliens get ID because it's so hard to navigate society without ID. And Democrats who like to give things away for free, don't they? Um, you'd think that they would make ID free. That's what all the voter ID, when you're requiring the ID, you can't have a poll tax. So you have to make the ID free, uh, at least an option for a free ID. You can still charge for a driver's license or whatever. And so it's also a real benefit for poorer people because they need the ID to live. And it's almost like the Democrats don't care about the plight of the per poor person who needs the ID to live they're not looking to fix that because they so don't want voter ID at the polls. And I don't know. I can't I can't figure out why would you spend in, in Michigan? The anti-voter ID forces will spend 20 million dollars this year. Now, that's that's not liking voter ID a whole lot in a state where 72 percent of the people in poll after poll, there's been some polls a little higher, support voter ID. It's 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 really bizarre. It's almost as if you think they want to they want to use the the loophole for and and that's unthinkable that they would actually be thinking that they're going to cheat in some election. But it's like this. It's almost mindless that somehow we have to fight voter ID. And of course, it might be because of all the studies showing how it suppresses the vote. Except there's no studies that show that. And, and, you know, I think the funniest thing has been this year in Georgia, where huge increase in voter turnout in Georgia um, <clears throat> after they passed the horrible fascist voter suppress suppression law, which was totally common sense stuff. But after they did that horrible thing in Georgia, this year's primary election had what, like 50% more voters than four years ago. So, you know, it, it on, on these issues, it's amazing the sort of fibs that, that we're getting. But of course, on voter ID, there are two groups who are going to fib about it. Far left Democrats and the media that's a little further to the left for the most part. And so they know they can get away with the fib. They can run an ad saying that this is voter ID, this is putting voter ID in the Constitution. And then there's a story in the paper that says, yes, that's true. <laughs> I have a real hard time with why Democrats are allowed to get away with this. Uh, but every Democrat person I know claims that Republicans are out to disenfranchise voters. And yet, the truth seems to be more nefarious that it looks like Democrats are trying to sneak in illegal voters and engage in ballot fraud. That's what it looks like because there's no other way around. What is the purpose for all these things? It's to make illegals, to allow illegal 
voters or illegal aliens or whatever to vote and to allow for more voter fraud. And they have engaged in ballot harvesting, which I think should be illegal. It is a, a, a lot of places. But not in um, some places, like in Michigan, well, I believe it's one of those places, right? Right, right. It's not illegal there. and But even in places where it's illegal, this is one of the problems with a lot of these election laws. The law's on the books, but when someone breaks it, nothing happens. We run into this in the petition business. You turn in some petitioner who's doing fraudulent signatures, nothing happens. Years ago in Arkansas, they changed the rules in a draconian way to try to, you know, basically snuff out the process. <clears throat> and they predicated it on that there had been a bunch of fraud, people forging signatures and doing things to try to qualify. And they failed to, to qualify because they checked signatures and stuff. It wasn't like it was successful. And of course, even if it was successful, what happens? Well, people get to vote on something. That's not really the end of the world, but it's not successful. But they used it to then pass draconian legislation. And when you ask, well, what happened to the people who broke the law? Surely you prosecuted them. No, not a single person was prosecuted. And we've talked about this on the whole view of criminality. They don't seem to have a problem with those crimes. They love that they were committed because now they can try to clamp down on this democratic process and they hate democracy. And so they want to clamp down on that. But they didn't go after any of these people. And of course, when you have a law and a penalty and someone violates the law, that's why you slap the penalty on. That's how the incentive structure works. The people committing the fraud in, in Arkansas have nothing to fear from the fraud. Nobody prosecuted them. Now, if you're a proponent, you were punished. You were punished going forward, not for fraud, because you didn't commit any fraud, but you were punished because we wanted to punish you anyway, and we just used the you know, the illegality of these people here that are fine. Go along, go about your way. You didn't defraud us. You defrauded somebody else. It's, it's, uh, it, you know, I've said throughout this because there's been so much emphasis since the 2020 election on in election integrity. The public has to be engaged in these things. Um, I'm not here to tell you that the Republicans will pass laws all over the country that are just, squeaky clean and wonderful laws designed to help everybody with no partisan. I mean, when partisan politicians ask laws that determine whether they get to keep riding the gravy train, whether they keep getting to be one of the cool kids, you know, whether they can tell their mom, hey, look, I'm a big shot. They're going to pass those for their own benefit. And sure, they, they may care about certain parts of it. They may make good arguments, but that's going to be there. And unless the public is engaged and actually knows something, and that is mightily helped if the media covers stuff like in an honest way. And they don't. They lie and push whatever the Democratic line is on a, on a lot of the uh, election type stuff. They pretend that that, you know, voter ID is racist, um, even though, you know, every every race, the support for it is off the charts. They you know, that's it's a huge problem, because if the media is as bad as it has become, 
it's kind of hard to see where the information gets put together and, and gotten to people. And, and who's going to do that? Well, it's the people who are spending money privately. And most of those are also attached to the Republicans and the Democrats. And so there's certain limits to, you know, to what's going to be suggested. Well, there you are. That's the uh, big news for the week. At uh, <laughs> That's a sad note, though, uh, to, to end on. Let's let's sing and do a dance. Maybe that'll get people in a better mood. Not if I were dancing. <laughs> Not if I were singing. So, all right. Well, we survived. We'll live to fight another day. Very good. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye.